one. Okay. There we go. All right. Cool. Let's get started. All right. Take it away. So, uh, welcome to episode six of the Tokyo Jazz Joints podcast. Sentences you never thought you'd say, so that's fantastic. Uh, we start with a bit of good news. This is the third day, third consecutive day recording. Uh, we're, we're doing a three-part special on uh, the Shinjuku neighborhood of Tokyo. A couple of bits of good news to kick off with. Um, James, you just sent me um, the listings from Chartable, so it seems that we're number one in the uh, music section of Apple Podcasts in Japan, which is fantastic. Uh, you know, I never thought that we would beat out the latest AKB48 podcast, but somehow we have done it, so kudos to us. You know what they say, you know, cream rises to the top, doesn't it? So I suppose um, that's that. Also, we're um, from the episode five, we're on a slightly new recording system, uh, and thanks to a friend uh, over here in Dublin called Brian, who's been really helpful. He's a sound engineer, so he's given us a bit of advice about getting the sound right uh, and to try and make it a bit more of a pleasant listening experience. We're getting some annoying clicking noises on one of the last tracks through Zoom, which has been really helpful to get us kicked off of the podcast, but we're going to try and stick with slightly better quality of audio from now on as well. So... It's interesting how quickly it's all developing and evolving. And uh, again, as always, thanks for all the listens. Um, it's fantastic to see that, that there's an audience for this podcast and that, that people seem interested in the stories that we're we're gonna we're gonna tell. So, um, we're gonna finish off the the focus on Shinjuku with this uh, part three of three. Um, and I think probably it's worth maybe starting before we get into the jazz joints, just having a quick chat about Shinjuku. Today, I suppose. I mean, we we mentioned kind of what it used to be like, um, you know, what it was famous for back then. I mean, my impression of it, it's not somewhere I spent loads of time. I tend to be over, you know, more on that sort of southwest side around Shibuya uh, and that kind of area. But I, I guess, I mean, it's still pretty much... I wouldn't call it bohemian, but it's certainly like a mad mixture of shops and restaurants. And again, you know, some really nice bars, some fantastic music bars and some really tacky, horrible places, some pretty nasty streets and nasty buildings uh, and a real kind of mishmash of of characters. I mean, the, particularly the under the tracks area um, and then the little Shoten guy with all the, um, for, the name escapes me right now, but um, with all the, the little... Memory Lane, yes, or actually you know, really called Piss Alley by the locals. Yeah, which is like stepping back in time, right? I mean, it's 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 just so grim and grimy. And there's there's the famous Albatross bar where I think you, it's so cram, it's so tight upstairs, I think, that you kind of don't come down to get your drinks. They sort of pass them up through a hole in the floor. So, that's right. I mean, that's kind of Shinjuku. I mean, what's your impressions of it? Or how do you think of it when you think of Shinjuku well, now? Well, you know, actually, I, I think um, probably for a couple of reasons, um, I'm I'm a lot more cynical and dark about it than, than what you just said. Probably because, uh, I'm still here and I've seen it change even more since since you left a couple years ago um, but also because that's really my hometown in Tokyo that's where I spent the most time I spent about 10 years living within walking distance of Shinjuku station and it's the place where I hung out the most where I drank the most where I worked the most um, and it's definitely seen um, everything that you just described is still there in pockets but it's getting uh, less and less every year um, as part of the 
the drive for the now delayed Olympics. Um, they used, the government here used the Olympics as an excuse to clean up and do what they wanted to do, which was knock down a lot of these little dingy streets, which had the jazz bars and the old drinking spots, you know, um, including, we mentioned on the previous uh, episode, Kabukicho, which is sort of the red light district of Shinjuku. You know, they've, they've put on a gigantic new big hotel there um, and, and just knocked out a whole little square block of it. So it is unfortunately changing uh, to me in the wrong direction just becoming a little bland um and you know but if you go to just a couple streets over you can still get that feeling um especially you know where some of the jazz bars that we've you know, going to talk about here, um, very, very close to the station. But if you just take that back alleyway, you're still going to find seven, eight or nine buildings. That's the incredible thing about Shinjuku and a lot of Tokyo is how dense it is. Is yeah. that you could come around the corner from, you know, Cartier watch and jewelry shop to a place that we're going to talk about uh, up first is Jazz Room Stick. Literally, you know, a, a 30 second walk from luxury goods is a really, really old, rundown building where you take these rickety steps and go up and you walk into Jazz Room Stick, you know? And that's, I think, um, that is the charm of Shinjuku and it still does exist. Maybe I'm a little bit grumpy. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, nothing like it would have been probably when we first got here, like you mentioned in the first part of our Shinjuku uh, three-peat here, you know, 23 years ago, it was still really rough. And now it's yeah. becoming a little bit more corporatized, unfortunately. Yeah, and I mean, I you know, Japan again for for listeners who haven't been there, you know, everything's about the station, so everything radiates radiates out from the station. So the closer to the station you are, the more expensive the rent is, and and the more desirable that location is. And and actually, the two places that we're going to talk about today, funny enough, um, both of them have closed, um, and also both were really within stone's throw of, of the station. So the first one that we went to was was Stick, and I remember I think it was a, a Friday classic sort of Friday night jaunt, um, and. I I remember being surprised, you know, because first of all, I wasn't as tired as I normally are, but uh, as I normally was, because you know, you uh, we, we've covered the speed that you walk uh, from the station <laughs> previous episodes, but because the distance was so much shorter this time, I, I still have my breath. But um, you know, when we got to when we got to stick, I was surprised how it was literally, you know, sort of just across from the station, around the back of the building, and uh, it, you know, as you said, rickety stairs. Well, you should uh, mention which building. It's it's literally right behind the Studio Alta building, which is where everybody right. has their yeah. meeting spot, right across mm-hmm. from the main entrance of the east exit of Shinjuku Station. It's one of the most crowded spots in the city and it's literally right behind that on a tiny alleyway so all of these thousands of people every night are walking by it but nobody's going in except for people yeah. like us you know and what strikes you about it is um when you go in or when you when you when we went in i suppose we should talk in the past tense now because sadly it's gone but when when you went in i think that what, what struck you the most was um you pushed open this sort of big wooden door with stick written on it and straight in front of you just down at the back you know maybe a couple of couple of meters away it was a pretty small place was just this enormous kind of poster or almost like a I, I remember it being kind of patched together so it had been like printed in sections and put together and just this enormous poster of, of Miles Davis and and you know had a kind of a sepia feel to it obviously faded from from years of of being on the wall and and cigarette smoke and stuff like that but you know of all the 
memorabilia and the things that we've seen in, in the different places it's one that always sticks in my head and and again like with a lot of these places i always wonder like what happened to that poster i, like, I mean when, when, when i went to stick uh, and saw it emptied out i mean that was my first thought because it is so large um and it's we should mention if you know hopefully people were listening to the show right now will be looking at the picture online but you can see it's at the electric miles period so he's sitting there at some festival next to a very funky looking jack Jeanette, who was his drummer at the time who would have been only in his early 20s um and it's just it's just so striking too because often in in the jazz cafe Cafes and bars we've gone to, um, you know, the miles that you hear would tend to be more, you know, the classic ballad miles, kind of blue, maybe the second quintet, not necessarily the funky years, you know. So to walk into this old bar and to see that gigantic poster of the electric miles looking with his incredible sunglasses, I mean, I was just like, I was completely speechless when I saw that. Um, and the picture that you took of it's great because if you look on either side of this gigantic poster, you can see these framed photos photos of people diving in the ocean and <laughs> that's the funny thing about the owner of uh, of stick uh, what who is a really really ganky lovely dude um he was not only an ex-parachute jumper what is that what you call right. parachute jump paratrooper paratrooper a paratrooper yeah, yeah. He, he was an ex-paratrooper but he was also um a licensed uh diver and fishermen. Mm. So he had pictures of jazz musicians all along the top walls, as you can see on the top right of the picture you took, Philip. And then he also had these framed pictures of, of him and his friends and, and, and people like diving in all these random locations around Asia. It was such a bizarre mixture, uh, but it was the kind of thing we sometimes see in these places, right? Where you'll see the owner, okay, it's a jazz joint, so they've got all the jazz memorabilia, right? But they also yeah. have whatever else they might be into, whether it's golf or in Wat Isan's case, uh, you know, pictures of him with you know dolphins it's funny isn't it I, mean, I remember discreetly there was a little picture of him um dressed in paratrooper gear actually uh, sitting on the on the counter um when we were there that night and uh, i mean it reminds me a bit of a, a lot of i mean they don't need to do it anymore now but certainly back in the day like a lot of professional footballers uh, like soccer players when they retired you know they often maybe got a bit of money from a testimonial game and they used to often buy either like a sports shop or they'd buy like a bar um, and uh, not not probably the kind of bar that we're talking about on this podcast at all. But yeah, it was interesting how he, he'd had this just completely different life and then here he was, you know, um, confined in this tiny little sort of rectangular box space uh, playing jazz records. And within that space too, he had um, behind where the records are and you can see it on the photograph, it was a sort of a glass DJ booth type area and actually the portrait that I managed to take of him um, happily was behind that glass so he sort of went in there and uh, he for whatever reason he chose to hold up that CD of John Coltrane my, my favorite things we should mention and, uh, we should mention as well is that he was 74 years old at the time which really right. surprised mm. me he's clearly dying his hair but, but he he was one of the guys he was sort of the opposite of uh, of uh, Otsuka-san at Shiramuren who we talked about last time who was very intimidating right. what I saw was just an unbelievably smiley guy um, and it's interesting because his last name for people who don't speak Japanese sounds very similar to how you say uh, laughing in in, mm. in 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 the Japanese language and he was always smiling and laughing and he definitely had a thing for the ladies <laughs> according to rumor we'll leave it at that although didn't you say i think maybe that we didn't we get a whisper that um someone else had been in more recently i think before he closed and and he'd got quite uh, cross i think with them maybe they'd been 
photographing or we don't know what the details were but I think we I remember you telling me something about you know him not reacting or being quite unfriendly uh with with someone that you'd sent there maybe or a contact of oh, yours and no, that's uh, we right. were kind of surprised Somebody, yes, right because yes, he'd yes. been so nice with us you know yeah and I had been I mean I'd been drinking there for years uh so maybe you know and and every time I always had a good experience and yes I remember I did get an email about that but I think that could have been maybe right before they were closing and so he might have been a bit under you know just under some stress or maybe yeah I mean, because I don't think he chose to close the place. It was, again, the story that we're hearing all, and we're going to hear repeatedly over the, the episodes we do, very sadly. Um, you know, we mentioned how old of a building this was. Um, so he was pretty much just evicted because he would have kept the place open until he was physically no longer label, uh, able to go there. That's what he had told me. When I asked him when he was going to retire, he just laughed and laughed and laughed. And he said, come on, don't be stupid. Let's have a drink. <laughs> you know? And I yeah. was like, oh, this guy's such a star. You know, he's going to stay here until uh, either he falls down or his son just like forces him to, to, to stay at home. Yeah, it's it's sad. I mean, I know I have that one picture that, I, that I've saved on my phone um, that you sent me of the. There, there's a picture as well. Again, if you're looking at the images, um, unfortunately, some dork was sitting at the end of the the counter when I took the picture of the of the door with the Miles poster in the background. I couldn't Photoshop him out. I don't know if you can see him. He's wearing like a black hat and. You know, that's funny he, because, you know, when he's people... He's pretending to read something intellectual, I think. I, I don't know exactly strange. what. When people but, have looked at the photo, they've always said, like, oh, wow, you know, who's the cool guy sitting with Miles there? Like, it's great, you know? <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, I have that picture of the shell, so uh, maybe I'll stick that up on, on our Instagram account, at Tokyo Jazz Joints. Um, yeah, it was a couple years interesting after to compare, when, when, you know? I, when I went by there, I remember because the, the, the door had been taken off, yeah, and it was strange. Yeah. Like, you could, just, you could just walk in there, and it was just completely, completely taken apart it was just and it's so sad because you, you wonder why yeah. don't you and I, I think the, the picture of just this concrete shell was interesting because it's sort of it's taken at the same angle as that picture so you know you mm -hmm. have this door and you have the person and the at, uh, yourself at the bar and, and the poster and all that you have that atmosphere and then the next picture is just this awful concrete shell that's no reflection on your photography skills obviously um <laughs> so you know yeah, I mean, unfortunately, Stick is, is gone. And I think, again, it's just a reminder of, of why this project began, which is is to preserve these places um, and to document these places for posterity. Because, you know, again, probably the only really coherent set of images, um, certainly maybe that include the owner himself, um, are, are the images on the on the Jazz Joints, Tokyo Jazz Joints project. So, you know, a real privilege to have been able to visit it uh, and also photograph it, including Warai-san. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, you know, RIP stick, Jazz Room stick. Yeah, great joint. Always loved going there. Um, so we'll stay in Shinjuku. Um, I think you wanted to chat. Uh, there's somewhere that, that's quite close to your heart that uh, we never made it to, I think. But um, you wanted to talk about, is it Jab Jazz Pub Misho? Is that the one? Yeah, Jazz Pub Misho was, was a place that I, I was a regular at for about seven years and, and very sadly closed uh, just about six months before you called me uh, to pitch this project. Uh, because it would have been the first place I would have taken you to. Um, I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, people who know me have heard me talk about Jazz Pub Misho so many times, and you can read about it and see some old photos on my own site, Tokyo Jazz site. But um, it was a little tiny counter bar. Misho-san was a, a, a 80-year-old guy uh, with a white beard who used to dress in a kimono and a headband. 
Um, or he would come into the bar wearing a cut-off denim vest because he's rode his motorcycle to the bar from the east side of Tokyo. Um, <laughs> he was an amazing guy. Um, he was my Japanese grandfather. He taught me so much about the music. He only listened to soul jazz and hard bop, only groovy stuff. He had 5,000 records in this tiny, tiny bar. Um, and if you look at my website, Tokyo Jazz Site, you, you can see I put up uh, the wit and wisdom of Misho-san uh, over the years, all the things that he told me, including such nuggets as, um, if you can't dance to it, it's not music. Um, if somebody tells you to turn it down, tell them to leave the bar. And, uh, oh, uh, don't trust people who don't like jazz or don't drink. So uh, a lot of a lot of just gorgeous anecdotes from him over the years, and uh, I, I'm, I was sad that I never got to take you there um, while he was still running it. Um, but yeah, people are interested. You know, check out on my own site, Tokyo Jazz site. You can read about it. Uh, definitely a very special place and a, and a real a real important part of my life in Shinjuku. Um, now, after Philip, after you did call me and we went around, we went by to see what had happened to Misho, and it turned into right, a, uh, a just a different type of bar, um, which which is another another story perhaps we'll get into when we talk about how things change. Yeah, we're going to talk about closures, I think, in, in a separate episode too, because mm. sadly, again, I'd say, you know, probably 15 to 20 of places that that we photographed, uh, been to together and photographed have, have uh, gone, that we know of, certainly, and potentially you know, perhaps even more. And then maybe one or two that sort of legendary places. I mean, one that sticks out is, is maybe uh, Masako and Shimokitazawa, which, you know, I had the opportunity to go to, as I know you did, but never uh, got to photograph it. And, uh, you know, a classic example of somewhere that's now, you know, was legendary and is gone. So we'll definitely do an episode on, on you know, closures of these places. Um, you know, just remember those those ones that are that have gone now and, and also have a bit of a chat about, you know, the reasons and, and uh, why things are changing to the point where these places are being forced to close. And sticking with that theme, you know, sadly, um, the other one, that, uh, joint that we want to talk about today is Jazz Pepe. And it there's a bit of a story behind that, you know, because um, I, I was doing a bit of research there on my the, the glories of, of an iPhone and uh, social media. So I was trawling through my photographs from years back. There's about 40,000 on my, on my phone at the minute. So I, I was trawling through those looking for Shinjuku and Shinjuku and actually trying to figure out, just piece together the timeline of Jazz Pepe. So Jazz Pepe is a place which was on the different side of the station, but probably about the same distance, you know, literally sort of stone's throw from the station building. And I think it's previously... Right, right you, around the corner from uh, Samurai, which we talked about on, on last that's right, episode. Yeah. yeah, right around the corner. Um, and, and I think previously you'd been, hadn't you, and, and seen it. And you can see, if you, if you zoom in on, on one of the images on the on the site, you can see that there's a door just beside the site, just in the, in the background, uh, the signs in the foreground, and it's got a, a pane of glass missing. So I think... The assumption had always been that you know that, that it was closed and the sign was yeah, turned I off. Mean, and we I, happened to I'd pass walked it, by there we? so many times, you know, and and the light wasn't on and the window was broken. The sign was was out, but it was covered in graffiti. It didn't look like anybody ever plugged it in. And I, I every time I walked by, it was a five or six times on that little alleyway. So I just I just assumed that it had closed down. Um, yeah, bad bad job by me not going back to check though. Well, yeah, these things happen, but I mean, we went in, so I I figured it out that it was. The 27th of January 2016, apparently, that was the first time that we went um, and you and I were together. And I mean, I think, we, you know, we sort of tentatively pushed that door open uh, with a broken glass <laughs> and walked down the, you know, small staircase. And we were just blown away. I mean, it was this kind of brick 
uh, interior with this beautiful lighting. All the, the as you can see in the photo, the stools were lined up along the bar. Well, uh, and, and that's and the, the view. That's the view right when you come in down the steps. Yeah. Is, is that yeah. view? So we were both. We just looked. I remember we looked at each other like, "Oh my god, <laughs> what the hell yeah. is going on here?" Or like, oh, you know, how do we miss this? Holy yeah. shit! Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was pretty amazing. I mean, and uh, yeah, we, we we once we sort of got our our breath back at just how incredible a find this was, we sat down and and you know did the usual thing. We got chatting to the owner. Do you want to, do you want to have a quick chat about him and then we'll well, we'll, we'll, we'll I mean, carry on with the story. Yeah, you you can see from the photo that you have of him. So Okuma-san, uh, at the time, I believe, was in his late seventies. And he had been basically running the bar since he was a student. Um, so he'd never really held another job. Um, he's got some great pictures on the wall, or he had some great pictures on the wall at Pepe, uh, which you got a couple copies of, of, of sort of like the student scene at that time, which, yeah. um, as I mentioned before, I'm a big Japanese movie buff. And so seeing these was like seeing like the real life stuff that I had seen on the screen from all those new wave mm. movies, you know? So he yeah. saw Shinjuku change over over the years he saw everything that happened um but just imagine for a second that you know we talked about the entry and you know the downstairs the basement vibe of this place imagine he, that you spent 50 years working in there now he was already having a little bit of whiskey i wouldn't say he was drunk or anything uh but he had his cigarettes out and i could just remember thinking like you know, if it were me, when, when we had a night out, I sometimes needed two days off to recover from having a few drinks, you know? And I was like in my early 40s. How did these guys survive that yeah. long? Um, and he said, I think he said, he told us 67 they'd opened. So, and he was there every night. So, you know, yeah. again, in, in very classic Japanese fashion, probably never had a night off. And, you know, he, I remember him smoking as well quite heavily. So, you know, you're thinking maybe 20, 40 cigarettes a night. Well, well, what was great was when I said like, well, what do you, what do you do when you're sick? He's like, well, I normally don't get sick, but when I'm hungover, I have a, a girl, a young girl that comes in and opens for me. <laughs> Yes, yeah, like, there we go. How yeah. often does that happen, you know? Um, but yeah. you can see from the pictures you had there, again, the beautiful old pink payphone with the Doris Day Harry James record leaned up against That's right, it, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, do you yeah. remember that when we sat down at the bar, like he, he was making tea and he had one of those, I don't know what you call it. It looks like a, a little gas flame, the kind of thing that people would take camping with them. And yes. it was just it was just on the counter and it was just burning like to provide heat behind the bar. And I was I mean, I remember thinking it like I was thinking, man, if there's an earthquake right now, we are all gonna burn up like instantaneously. Like that can't be safe. And he just he just didn't turn it off. The whole hour we were there, it was just sitting there, the flame was going <laughs> with all the dust yeah. and old papers around it, you know? Yeah, suffice to say, I mean, if you're if you're if health and safety is your thing, uh, you know, I, I'd like to just put it on record right now. Do not go to Japanese jazz joints. There we go. It's a public <laughs> service announcement. Um, so yeah, that was the first time we went to Pepe. So then uh, as I trolled through these photographs and, and this is kind of where we get into sort of a sadder part of the story, really, we we kind of decided because of the just the uniqueness of the place and, and this guy and everything that we were going to go back and interview him um record that interview and then you know do something with that maybe put it together with some images and so on and the when we went back uh, i think we'd called ahead and actually arranged to or you know 
you'd spoken to him and said, you know, it's okay if we do this and we got the okay and everything else. And it was the 15th of October. So it was a good six or seven months, 15th of October, 2016. So it was later that year. Um, and there's a photo on my phone of just the sign, strangely not inside, but actually outside in front of the metal shutter that had been pulled down and then just a rubbish bag. And I remember us standing there for like quite a while. And then we kind of circled round and circled back uh, and no one came because, you know, as we said before, you know, some these places are not opening at like eight o'clock on the dot or whatever. You know, they, they sort of open at the owner's whim sometimes. So we kind of thought it was one of those situations and we hung around and hung around. And unfortunately, then um, no one came. So we gave up um, and headed off. And then I have photographs then on my phone from the 25th of October. So about a week later. And uh, the scene looks very similar. The rubbish has been picked up, um, but the, the the sign is still there in the doorway with the metal shutter pulled down. But in this on this occasion, there's actually a sign uh, that's been printed and, and posted up on the metal shutter that basically says, due to a medical emergency, uh, we're going to be closed. Um, and then I think, if I remember correctly, after that, we thought, oh, this is not good. Um, and I think you called him, didn't you, to see what was happening and... and if I'm not mistaken, um, he was kind of quite slurry, uh, sounded almost like he was quite drunk. And I think we'd heard previously before that that he'd been maybe selling off his record collection at like 200, uh, 200 yen a, that is, that is completely a record correct. or something. And, and, so. and then the, the, the word was that the word came that, you know, uh, you know, the building, you know, had to be had to be torn down. That's right. Um, yeah. And uh, but but, you know, these things can, can take quite a a long while in Japan um, compared to some other countries. You can't, for whatever city legal issues there are, you can't just come in and like tear a building down. The tenants do have some rights. So usually when you hear these things from the jazz joints, um, it's usually about six to nine months, sometimes even a year in advance, they'll get the notice about it. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we, we you know, perhaps uh, jumped to some conclusions, but it was it was kind of hard to avoid the... The feeling that it was it was like, you know, he got the news at some point and, and his health just suddenly, you know, the stress or whatever um, kind of got to him and, and he collapsed. And, yeah, you're completely right, because I did speak with him um, and, and the difference was very noticeable. I mean, wondered, I mean, it's, I mean, it's all it's all sort of conjecture, I suppose, but I mean, potentially maybe. It sounded like it might have been a stroke or something, particularly if his speech was was slurring in that way. And I remember the the poignant thing about it was that when he he explained about the closing, sort of in between the the first time of meeting him and and the time that you spoke with him on the phone, I remember him. I think he'd said to you also on the phone and on a separate call that um, the rent uh, the rent the the landlord of the building wanted to quote make the building nicer, which you know is a very Japanese way of saying basically tear it down and rebuild it um and again you know just a, a reminder of you know the pressure that these places are under that you know have quite happily done business for even through the the, the boom years the bubble years in japan um have done business done good business um and you know now just because of this kind of tide of gentrification and, and so-called sort of cleaning up the city that that they just can't really survive because these are not places as we've said before that make money for the owner yeah uh, they, they don't make money and 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 you know like we were talking about in in the case of you know stick samurai pepe these are all within a two three four minute walk of the world's busiest train station so imagine yeah. what that real estate is 
worth. So the mm. landlords are just thinking like, I want to get rid of these grimy old jazz bars and I want to build yeah. you know something profitable. The fact that they could even last as long as they did was was almost miraculous um, because they were paying rent. Um, and again, that goes into very Japanese legal stuff, but you know they weren't facing the kind of rent increases that maybe mm. a building right next to them would be paying for the same space. So they were in the old building, maybe paying rates that they negotiated 20, 25 years ago. That's what the guy in the Samurai had told me. So yeah. that was, you know, if if you think about, even if the owner would say to, to, to Pepe or Stick, like, okay, look, I'm going to give you the space that you still had, you know, you can have it, it'll be all modern. Um, you know, even if he would say that, the rent would probably be, you know, two to three times as much. And so there's no way they could afford that. Yeah, yeah. So we, I mean, sadly, we we don't really know what happened. Um, we, you know, of course, hope that he that he's still going, uh, you know, somewhere. Um, but um, the chances are probably, unfortunately, that he may well have passed away. Um, we never got to go back in. Um, I did no. do at one point. I I I sent out, you know, I sent out the signal on on social media in Japanese. Um, to a lot of the people, Philip, you you know who, probably who I'm talking about. Similar people we follow who uh, who go around uh, to to jazz joints, Japanese people who you know love to go drinking there and who blog about them and stuff. And 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 I did put out the word to say, does anybody know um, Okuma-san from from Pepe? Um, but I think that you know, and you can kind of get a sense from the pictures that you took. Actually, you know, like he he played a lot of vocal jazz, for example. Uh, as you can see from the Doris Day record, and, and yeah, what the, photo, Martin, photo. the photo you have of the bar actually has a poster for one of the gigs that they had in the bar from a female right, singer yeah. called Mammy. So a lot yeah. of his uh, customers would have been about his age, um, people not necessarily you know using Twitter or Facebook or something like that. So um, it was it was pretty it was pretty difficult because usually when when we've done this before when we put the word out to ask about a certain cafe or bar, somebody out there who follows us will will get back to us in Japanese or English but with Pepe it was just silence there was nothing um, it was as if nobody knew about this place mm. you know and and it just it, yeah. it kind of still to this day it, it, it's got that mysterious aspect about it and and yeah I do wonder because you know um, and I think we mentioned this on our on our uh, first uh, episode where we were discussing a little about these places but um, you know I don't think a guy like Okuma-san had any family uh, to go back to um, you know, who was going to be able to take care of him um, if or when he became too ill to open the bar, you know? And and that's, that, yeah. that is really the sort of allergic, sad aspect of the project that we're doing, the sort of transience of these places that they they capture mm. a period of time in Tokyo and in Japan, and we've got there just at the tail end of it. And sometimes we made it, like we made it to Pepe to get the pictures and to meet him. Um, but for Misho, we didn't make it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it, it's great that the, the photograph of the Jazz Pepe sign uh, and also of Okuma-san holding up his drink, you know, they, that's made the cut several times into different exhibitions and stuff that, that we've done in, in various places. So, um, you know, it's a nice opportunity to get the photographs out there and to kind of celebrate this place, albeit, you know, the opportunity to visit yourself um it no longer exists. I mean, just a side note. Um, you mentioned the photographs that he, where he has that you know look like stills from a film of these really funky uh, Japanese uh, kids, you know, with sunglasses and cigarettes and leather jackets on that you can see in the image. But actually, interestingly, quite n just next to that is 
some color photos of of gigs that obviously took place in the bar. And again, I mean, when you when you look at the photograph of the entrance uh, to Jazz Pepe and how small and narrow it is, it it might give you a flavor if you haven't been to one of these places of just how claustrophobic and and intense having like a, a gig in there would be, particularly in this one, because I think there's, I'm pretty sure that's a double bass there. So, you know, which is not the world's smallest instrument. So you can imagine just having like a three, four piece band in there with well, the look, owner you, you and can then, see, you know, you customers. You can see on the, on the right side of your pictures there, right? Look, look at yeah. the picture on top and the, the one at the bottom. Look how many people are in those photos. <laughs> I mean, so yeah. imagine, yeah. imagine yeah. you were down in Pepe with 30 people who were, you know, and in those days, like inevitably every person would be chain smoking, right? So like yeah. Yeah, it would just yeah. be, it would just be an unbelievably punishing atmosphere, but, but it just, it, you know, so lively. Uh, that's the thing. Whenever I think about Shinjuku and I think about jazz spots is I think about how lively they were. You know, um, they were we, we mentioned uh, in previous shows about some of the cafes where you you had a sort of a silence, you know, no talking policy, you mm. know, um, but places like Pepe and Stick, they were very alive. Um, and, and, and you had the feeling when you would go in there, especially with Stick, which I was a regular at every time I went there, um, the conversation was flowing. And you didn't you didn't have to wait two or three minutes before the person sitting next to you at the bar would start to talk to you or what I saw would in, would introduce you, you know. And um, it was just a it was just a really really special time that we 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 got to experience there, you know. I don't know what now that building is. I haven't been back to that street in Shinjuku since then, but um, I will make sure when all of this nonsense is over with uh, COVID nineteen to go up and and take a picture and maybe we can we can uh, add it to the slideshow, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's funny you should say that because I suppose, you know, in some ways these places are very Japanese, but in, in other ways, uh, in the nicest possible way, they're not Japanese. You know, like you mentioned, for example, just randomly talking to people next to you, um, that just that lack maybe of formality uh, mm. and sort of kind of social norms and that sort of etiquette that you know that oils the wheels of japanese society in general you know often when you go into these places because of the music because of the atmosphere is is sort of absent and you know maybe it's more reminiscent in some ways uh, of like pubs or bars that we're more used to from you know where we grew up and stuff like that so uh yeah i mean fantastic spaces and so you know sadly um both jazz room stick and jazz peppy no longer no longer there but um great to have preserved them for for the project and I think probably that's a good point to leave it uh, for Shinjuku. You know, if you haven't, if this is the first one you're listening to, if you go back uh, on whatever you, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll you'll be able to find episodes four and five, which we also cover different places in Shinjuku as well. Um, thanks as always for the listens. You know, we're we're really um, humbled by the number of listens that we've had um, and the, the the nice comments and feedback that we've had. Thanks to Brian for doing the sound for us. Thanks to Louis Elastic for giving us some theme music and uh, thanks to you James for giving up your precious time on a Sunday I know you're such a busy man that I, I do appreciate you you giving me some time well, to do this project you know I mean look there's a couple of full bottles of Bushmills I still haven't gotten to so but I'm always happy to put that off to talk jazz with you my friend 
just just anyone who's listening, we're not we're not shamelessly um, trying to get Bushmills to sponsor us. <laughs> James genuinely does like Bushmills, as do I. Um, so you know, it's not a plug for Bushmills. Having said that, obviously, if someone from Bushmills is listening. Uh, we wouldn't say no to oh, a few bottles and, and to, ha- just, to help. Just, just to emphasize, uh, it is nighttime in Japan, so people don't think I'm <laughs> pounding the whiskeys back in the middle of the day yeah, yeah, <laughs> during the yeah, COVID-19 can, situation. It is nighttime. I can, I can confirm that. Very strict rule. Uh, no drinking until 8 p.m. So, yes. There we go. <laughs> so, uh, let's talk next week. We've got a lot more stories to get to. I'm so excited to hit some of these. Um, and, uh, yes, as always, please do leave us a comment and... And follow us on social media. I am at at Mark Mr. OK Jazz Tokyo, Twitter and Instagram. Listen to my podcast, the OK Jazz Podcast. Philip, your is is just your name. That's right. At Philip Arnell. Yeah. At Philip Arnell on Instagram, Twitter. You can see all the images of the bars and joints that we talk about on www.tokyojazzjoints.com or you can hit us up on any of the usual social media platforms. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll see you next week for episode seven. James, until then. Keep swinging.